Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I'm your host Claudia and this week we'll be covering the mysterious disorder of Munchausen syndrome. As most of you know from my introductions, I have a strong background in psychology and although many will argue about the reality of Munchausen, it has come out in so many forms in the last century, I would say, because of documentation, that I believe it is one of those disorders that we can only get to learn more of as time progresses. So, what is Munchausen syndrome? And where did the name and the meaning for this syndrome come from? Munchausen syndrome is named after Baron von Munchausen, who was an 18th century German officer who was known for embellishing the stories of his life and experiences. Munchausen syndrome is a fictitious disorder in which a person repeatedly and deliberately acts as if he or she or they have a physical or mental illness when they are not really sick. However, this syndrome itself is considered a mental illness because it is often associated with severe emotional difficulties. Most of the symptoms in people with Munchausen syndrome are related to physical illness, such as chest pain, stomach problems or fever, rather than those of a mental disorder. This, however, is not to suggest that a mental disorder is any less debilitating than a physical disorder. I'm very much in the opinion of that just because we cannot see a mental disorder makes it far more dangerous and complicated than a physical illness. People with Munchausen syndrome often deliberately produce or exaggerate symptoms in several ways. They may lie about or fake symptoms or alter medical tests. People affected by the syndrome often have a dramatic but inconsistent medical history and have a history of seeking treatment at numerous hospitals across different cities, states and countries. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a spoiler alert here. So the first time I came across Munchausen syndrome is in a really non-clinical way. It was on an episode of House. I love Hugh Laurie and one of his partners, Stephen Fry, like the two people who I love for their comedic value, but also their intelligence is just off the charts. It's brilliant. But anyway, um, the episode is in season two, episode nine, and it surrounds a woman named Anika who has a seizure standing next to House at a bar. In the episode, it's found out that Anika has Munchausen syndrome, but she also has an infection which causes all the doctors to have conflicting opinions of what is actually wrong with her. Ultimately, she does have Munchausen syndrome and accepts outpatient treatment, but at the end of the episode, we see her getting admitted into another hospital, showing that this illness is not something that just disappears because you know what you have. So what is the cause of Munchausen syndrome? 
The cause of Munchausen syndrome is something that's not really known, but it is constantly being researched as being both biological and physical and psychological factors in its development. Most of the theories around seem to suggest that a history of abuse or neglect as a child with a history of frequent illness that has required hospitalization might be the key factors in the development of this syndrome. But there's also possible links to personality disorders, which also seem to be another psychological part of people who suffer with Munchausen syndrome. In general, Munchausen is still shrouded in mystery and it's still considered to be quite a rare condition but this may be more due to the fact that obtaining accurate statistics from people with a disorder that has a history of dishonesty at its centre is the main reason these numbers are misleading. From what can be gathered though is that Munchausen has been reported more commonly in men than women and seems to develop in young adulthood rather than obviously appearing in children and late adulthood, but it can occur in children too. Munchausen is quite a difficult syndrome to be diagnosed with because there is so much unreliable data and there isn't enough research for more tests to be foolproof. However, if a doctor can find no physical reason for symptoms a patient is reporting, and if they suspect the patient is self-inflicting these symptoms, then they will probably refer them to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Psychiatrists and psychologists have a specifically designed interview and assessment tools to evaluate a person for Munchausen syndrome, and they will base their diagnosis off their observation of the patient's attitude and behaviour and exclude the physical and mental illness symptoms. However, ambiguous this syndrome is there is some form of treatments that can help but this is only if the person is willing to admit that they suffer from Munchausen syndrome. As with other fictitious disorders the primary treatment for Munchausen syndrome is psychotherapy. This kind of treatment usually focuses on changing the thinking and behavior of the individual. This can also be known as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT to most people. Family therapy may also be helpful in teaching the family members not to reward or reinforce the behaviour of the person the person with the disorder. A lot of the times you will hear on programmes like Dr Phil of people enabling their family members. And this is part of the history, I think, of where Munchausen can actually come from. If a child has been frequently ill when they were younger, and they were neglected, they would often get a lot more attention when they were ill or were in hospital from their parent or caregiver. So that is what they associate with getting attention with, and that's what they associate with positiveness. So this is where you do need to treat the family as they might be pretending that they're ill and not to give them that positive attention that they're actually seeking and craving. There are no medications to treat Munchausen syndrome itself, but there are some which can treat any related illnesses such as depression or anxiety. But these medications, again, must be highly regulated as a person may use them in a harmful way to cause 
I don't know, different symptoms of a various illness that they think that they may have. However, unfortunately, there is no known way to prevent Munchausen syndrome. Patients who show signs of Munchausen syndrome are a high risk for substance abuse and they do have a high risk at attempts at completing suicide. I'm going to cover now three different cases that I feel show the lengths that a person suffering with Munchausen syndrome will go for, I don't really want to say attention because for them it is a positive attention, but I suppose it's showing the lengths that they will go to prove that they are suffering an illness. The first one is known as CA, as it is a Romanian teenager girl which showed sign of Munchausen's. Because of her age, she is only ever known as CA. CA was a then 17-year-old girl who went underwent treatment for esophagitis, diffuse gastritis, and duodentis at a San Francisco Maria Children's Hospital. She attempted two suicides in the same year through voluntary ethyl alcohol intoxication. So for people who don't know, alcohol, you can also have ethanol, and ethanol sort of gives you the poisonous side of alcohol, and this is what she was doing. She was poisoning herself. She did follow this by having multiple admissions into various hospitals. This tallied up to 34 admissions in three years. She was shown to be a pathological liar. She told different stories of her family, one of a friend's death and one in which she was a rape victim. This is something which I did some study in my bachelor's degree at university about people's attitudes of rape. And I actually really disagree beyond belief with people who do report false accusations because it is so hard for a true rape victim to be believed that if this case is a false rape going around then that's just going to make the real people who have been their stories just even less credible which isn't fair. However, CA went through psychological and psychiatric examinations and showed a medium IQ, sadness, low levels of self-esteem, anxiety, and depression. 
there were several risk factors that could be gleaned from her that were seen in her childhood. She was separated from her mother in early childhood. And as most psychologists know, this is one of the biggest things that I think is the separation anxiety from a caregiver or a mother can be so, so damaging to a child. She was also neglected emotionally. This may be because of her separation from her mother and I'm unsure what the care was like in Romania at the time, but as history shows, care in orphanages probably 100 years ago or even 50 years ago isn't as good as what it could be seen today. There is also possibly as a child that she was physically and sexually abused. This is also something that could have caused her pathological lying. Yet again, as I said, some of these could be true or it might not be because of her lies. Psychological counselling and antidepressive therapy were initiated, but then her treatment suddenly stopped as she left home without adult supervision. So it, and she never returned. So her doctors believed that she possibly moved to another country and carried on with the allegations that she had before. As you can see from this story, CA had those high number of hospitalizations, 34, and it was in various hospitals throughout the country. She had two attempted suicides through the same method, which is very harmful and risky to herself, trying to harm herself, which is very key and very high, I think, in people who do suffer from Munchausen. But as from what I stated earlier, a lot of this could have been from the risk factors that were in her childhood. And that could be where her Munchausen actually started from. Our second story is of Leslie Wilfred. This one is uh, quite a lot more recent case so I have a little bit more information on this than I did the previous case and because it was of an adult we actually get to know a little bit more of the details behind it. So on the 10th of November 2008 Leslie Wilfred informed her husband Chris that the twins which they had been expecting for the past five months were arrived prematurely and stillborn. A funeral was then held for the cremated twins. But the twins never existed at all. Leslie had in fact had her fallopian tubes tied after the birth of her last child, years before she had married her current spouse, Chris. Her disorder went as far as with the twins, she ordered them teddy bear shaped urns 
five days before the supposed stillbirths. This is something that I think shows the level of Munchausen psychologically. To go on for five months with the pretense of a pregnancy when she knew that she physically couldn't have children anymore and dupe her husband into that is quite extreme and she obviously knew how she was going to get past not having the children by ordering the urns before she told anybody that she had had the twins still born. This is actually shown in a lot of other murder cases where some women will pretend that they are pregnant to get attention. And even though they don't have full-blown Munchausen syndrome, I think they are showing elements of it and could be borderline. And this is where I think personality disorders can actually link into the Munchausen quite strongly. Leslie had also fabricated medical illnesses for two of her other four children. Her son, 13-year-old Charles, needed a liver transplant and her nine-year-old daughter, Teresa, suffered from leukemia and she actually accepted donations for the bills. Her partner at the time, Chris, who she'd faked the twin pregnancy with, also had a son called Nathan from a previous relationship. She actually abused Nathan, forcing him to sleep in a tiny wooden box with plastic bands on his arms to prevent him from moving. And this actually caused Nathan to develop PTSD. So with Leslie, there wasn't actually any treatment for her Munchausen syndrome, which I think is quite a mistake because she was an adult. She had caused so much pain with the people in her life that I think the family needed some therapy as well. However, Leslie was sentenced to eight years in prison and then followed by 30 years of probation. Her charges were for several counts of cruelty to children and the theft by deception, but none of this actually gave her any psychological treatment, which I think she could have benefited from and certainly her husband Chris and the children certainly could have benefited from. The last case I'm going to cover is of Andrea Abigail. So this is actually an alias. And this case is actually called The Woman Who Was Cured. So this is um, a bit of a unique case as well, as you will see. Since childhood, Andrea had suffered from Munchausen syndrome. She would drink poison, starve herself, and take excessive laxatives. 
at one time she actually took 90 laxatives. That is just something I can't even imagine. She grew up in a dysfunctional home in New York City. She was the daughter of a bipolar Holocaust survivor who had been physically and sexually abusive. I think I can understand how a child of even just a Holocaust survivor might feel. I actually personally have Jewish friends and have been present in one of the Holocaust ceremonies and to think about how much pain those people went through and this wasn't the first time that this group of people were put under so much scrutiny and judgment but for her poor parent to be bipolar as well that's something that really needed to be treated but back in the 1940s 1950s this is not something that was really treated as a post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD is still not understood properly even now it's still not treated properly I do not condone any sort of physical or sexual abuse to children at all. Being a parent of a five-year-old, it actually makes me feel physically sick to think of that. But I feel from the psychological part of me, I can understand that by not having the proper support or treatment of being such a survivor, it could lead to this. So Andrea, at the age of five, she cut her finger with glass deliberately to show her parents thinking it would stop the arguments. It didn't work, but she got the attention she wanted. I could not even consider my five-year-old doing this. At any sight of blood, he goes into hysterics, and that's when something's done by accident or even on me. So for her to do that herself is showing how much she wanted to drag attention from what they were doing to her. At the age of 12, she faked an asthma attack and was actually admitted to the emergency room. And then shortly after, she tried to break a bone by hitting her wrist so hard with a hammer. I just can't even fathom that. I feel as though Andrea must have been feeling so much pain about her life that she wanted to do that to just gain some sort of emotional attention. Now at the age of 53, Andrea is cured from the disease and credits it to a new pal's so it's a new sort of type of psychologist in New York, psychologist Tom G. Hall. That's his pseudonym as he doesn't really take on new patients. He had made himself available to Andrea even outside of office hours, building a trust and support. And in an 
unconventional treatment known as reparenting. Despite Tom actually being the same age as Andrea, he showed her that he could be a good father and the father that she never really had. This has actually been chronicled in a book and shows all of her struggles and everything that she went through. And this book is actually committed to educating others about the treatments of Munchausen. This is a quote from Hall. I want to get the universal message out there that even with a severe disorder like Munchausen, it can be treated with the right kind of help. So just those three cases show how easy it is for a person suffering with Munchausen syndrome to spiral and how long it can actually take for the syndrome to be accurately diagnosed. For especially Andrea from the age of five to now she is 53. It's such a long span. That's nearly someone's lifespan. I just really want to press that any sort of psychological disorder doesn't have a treatment that is a one-size-fits-all. It's like some medication isn't a one-size-fits-all. I think if you have a psychologist or a psychiatrist who has the interest to actually delve into the person and to find out what is actually going to work for them, then that is how treatment and possibly even medications, are going to get better and better. This disorder also has another form, which I think most people have heard of, which is Munchausen by proxy, which I will be covering in next week's episode. So my sources for today were WebMD, Um, which actually gives you a really in-depth diagnosis and probably the background of Munchausen syndrome. I also used um, www.rjor.ro.com, which was the Munchausen syndrome in the teenager. So that was all about the case of CA. I also used MIMS today, which is a psychological website which you can use for any sort of psychological disorder, which actually gives you a lot of support on there. Also, good old Wikipedia. If you do find that you have any psychological struggles, please try and reach out to your, I would say in Australia, we have something called Beyond Blue, which covers all sort of mental, I don't know, disorders and provides phone numbers and people who you can talk to. However, there is something else which I am really passionate about and it is a website called Black Dog. So Black Dog is to say like, what we used to say, like the pink elephant in the room, but the Black Dog is something like depression, which you acknowledge that the Black Dog is there. It's actually really helpful even if you're suffering from mild anxiety. It gives you tips and tricks to bring your mind back and see whether you can help yourself 
through these times then also gives you the information if you want to take things further. I know in the UK, the NHS is brilliant for hooking people up to the right psychological support that you need. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre Mortals. If you like this podcast, please subscribe for more content. And please join our Facebook group, Macabre for Mortals podcast. Or if you have any stories you'd like me to cover, please email them to macabreformortals at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week. Bye.